Welcome back to the program. With about the same degree that Captain Renault was shocked, just shocked, into finding gambling going on in Casablanca. That's how shocked most of us are to find out that politicians and businesses lie to us. Hardly a surprise, whether it's the latest candidate promising to remake the world or Coca-Cola offering the real thing. The idea of marketing and even, yes, misrepresentation has been around before spin doctors and long before Don Draper. From the days on the savannah when the caveman allowed his buddy to be eaten by a lion because he coveted his women, to the endless promises of the Apple Watch, we all know we are lied to on a regular basis. But does it matter? Isn't that the idea of a free society, that we have the ability to allow us to gather the information to be informed, to make our own decisions? And today, with creative destruction, when buyers know more about the price of a car than the salesman, when transportation can be ordered and altered with the click of a mouse, aren't we better off? My guest, talk show host Ethan Bierman, is not so sure. Ethan Bierman is something truly unique, a nationally syndicated talk show host whose audience is not just white, male, and 55 to dead. He's on KSFO in San Francisco. He can be heard on Saturdays and Sundays from 4 to 7. And it is my pleasure to welcome Ethan Bierman here to talk about his new book, Liars and Whores, How Big Government and Big Business Are Working to Save Their Own Assets and Not Yours. Ethan, thanks so much for joining us. Mr. Sheckman, it is an absolute pleasure. Uh, I love the work that you do. I love Napa. <laughs> and uh, maybe Napa doesn't suffer quite as badly from the manipulation of the system, or maybe it does. You guys have had some interesting things happen over the recent years as well in terms of how government and business spend money. But it really is a big issue that the manipulation happens and it's done in a way to tell you one thing. I have a, a grandfather, my paternal grandfather was a vaudevillian, was a magician who taught me, and I, I mentioned this in the book, magicians do this thing where they get you to look at the shiny thing in one hand so they can really do the manipulative work and prepare for the trick with the other hand. And that is happening and it's in a pervasive way at levels that we've maybe never seen before. Should any of that surprise us, though, and does it sometimes get to the level of, of ultimate paranoia? You know, I was in line in a grocery store a couple of weeks ago, and it's the guy in front of me, is cranky old man standing in front of me, the woman says, do you want to buy a bag? Because, you know, in California, of course, you've got to pay 10 cents for the bag. He says, no, I don't want to participate in government fraud. I mean, this can get carried a little too far. Well, there's absolutely no question. There's a difference between conspiracy and a skeptical eye and mind. And sometimes it's a fine line between the two. I am not a conspiracist at all. I don't look at the world darkly. I don't see that this is some horrible thing that's being done to control and to manipulate me. I think it's much more simplistic, and that is people are looking out for their own assets. And what, so what they're focused on is how do I best relieve you of that money in your pocket? And I've got no problem with businesses marketing and creating products. I love the competitive free market. What I don't like is the manipulation of the system. And when I say the system, I mean our rule of law, regulations, administrative agencies. When that is done with the singular purpose of lining somebody's pockets, and the politicians that did it, did it because they needed to fund their re-election campaign because they are all in re-election mode. And I want to add to that something very important, and that's this. The New York Times itself had an article, I think it was about two years ago now, talking about how Democratic freshmen 
Congress people are required by the DNC to spend four hours of a day while they're in Washington, D.C., their freshman term on fundraising. So if you're in D.C. and you're spending four hours a day on fundraising, not doing the people's business, what do you think is going to happen? And that is the case everywhere. You talk to members of the California legislature and they tell you how much time they have to spend fundraising in order to be reelected. But that is in many ways the system that we created. The idea that we get the kind of government and the kind of politicians that we deserve. And we have to know that. We shouldn't be shocked that they lie to us. We shouldn't be shocked that they're out there raising money because that's the system that we've created. Well, I agree. I'm not shocked at all. What my point is, is I need people and you need people and we all need people to have a little bit more of a critical eye. So, for example, some of the smartest people I know are on Facebook. As a matter of fact, I, I woke up this morning and I checked my Facebook feed because I wanted to talk about that. I was going to be talking to you today, among other things, on my fan page. One of the absolute smartest human beings I know falls into the same trap that nearly everybody does reads a headline on a Facebook news feed and jumps to conclusions. See, that is ultimately what has gotten us here and will continue the situation where we look around and go, hey, wait a minute, half the money is missing from my pocket. Why is that? Why is the government forcing me to buy a bag at the store? If you only read the headlines, it's to save you from yourself. It's to save the world, which is why I get into all of these different topics in the book from energy and transportation, the environment, education, drug war, free trade, cybersecurity. The point is I make examples of those topics and I want people to start thinking and having these conversations. Again, I'm not conspiratorial. It's not dark. But if we just think a little bit more and we ask hard questions, I'll give a great example of this one. Speaking of California, Senator Bill Monning from the Monterey Bay area year after year sponsored a bill wanting a soda tax and we saw that it pass in Berkeley uh -huh. and I, I great I don't want people to be fat and sick I don't want that either but does adding a tax change that and here was the specific thing I challenged Bill Monning on and he really he, he poo-pooed it in typical politician fashion I said if you're actually concerned about the health of your constituents you would be having a diet soda tax not a sugary soda tax because it, when you actually look at the facts and the science out of france 60 plus thousand women were studied for over 10 years they actually found diet soda to be even worse than sweetened drinks so senator monning why not do a diet soda tax well uh, i'm gonna have to go back and review that data yeah i have all the data i have all the links i have all the references it's very simple so when you're not doing something to save somebody you're doing something to line somebody's pockets not actually save us because if you were interested in saving you'd have a diet soda tax and in fact a diet soda tax is probably a good idea but the whole idea that here we are 240 years into to this republic at least and we're still debating that we should tell people that they have to think for themselves and have a critical eye with public education with all of the things that we have available to people today is it really necessary should it be necessary to have to tell the public that you need to be informed how stupid oh, are people to not know that it is it's you you raise some really key issues well first off your introduction was perfect and uh, it was wonderful 
because this does date back to the savannah. I'm sure the first caveman that discovered a nearly round rock sold it as a wheel as well for <laughs> transportation, right? So this has been going on forever. What has changed, though, is we've seen a new level of manipulation. We've seen another level and new generation of usurpation, maybe, of some of these fundamental ideas. We have a whole new um, set of bureaucracies for the nanny state to say, look, you don't need to worry about things anymore. We'll take care of you. All will be handled. And that ultimately is the issue. So again, the technology between a Twitter feed and a Facebook feed, go talk to any millennial on the street. That's actually where they're getting their news. That and, and soon to be no longer John Stewart. So nobody's taking this critical approach. So as I grew up, I remember learning about yellow journalism. And so it's not like the press has always been this perfectly, you know, wonderful savior for us all. And we've always needed to think for ourselves, to your point. But we have a whole new generation that isn't thinking to, for themselves, that isn't thinking beyond the headlines, that isn't seeing that solar panels are going to save the world and uh, Al Gore and we're all going to die if you don't stop using a plastic bag. You know, for example, when the plastic bag ban took effect, one of my problems was is instead of getting my plastic bag from, let's say, the drugstore, because um, I have a dog. I have to pick up after my dog. I'm actually a responsible <laughs> dog guardian. And so instead of using the plastic bag from my local pharmacy, I now had to go online and buy 300 plastic bags. So I didn't get rid of plastic bags. All I did was get them from another source that cost me a whole lot more money. And instead of the government when I was a kid, I'll never forget growing up in Minneapolis, there was this wonderful grocery chain called Lund's. And at Lund's, when you checked out, they would put your groceries. There was somebody that would bag your groceries. And the grocery bag was covered in languages from around the world, this nice brown paper bag saying thank you in so many languages. It's actually where I learned how to say thank you in several languages. I'm not kidding you. So, you know, and I was like, oh, wow, wonderful. Look at all this. And Lund's would give you that brown paper bag because they saw that as a service to their customer. California has changed that. Your grocery, your local grocery now can't say, I want to provide a service and not charge my customer. They're required by law to charge the customer. That doesn't make sense that the government says, you've got to charge somebody for that. You can't give it to the customer and compete in a free market. These things don't make sense. So it's achieved whole new levels of nanny state-ism. It, it certainly has, but certainly we also have the, the ability to be more informed through technology. You may have to order those 300 bags to pick up after the dog, but you can go online and find 300 biodegradable bags to pick up after the dog. and Which order don't them degrade in a landfill, Jeff. <laughs> right, they don't. And order them at the click of a mouse. I mean, it, it is easier in many ways. And, you know, I was talking before about car dealers. If you talk to car dealers, they will tell you that most of the people that come in to buy a car today know more about the stuff inside the car, the equipment in the car, and the price of the car, wholesale, retail, manufacturing, etc., than the salesman that they hire. So we do have the ability to have more information. We just have to do something about it. I totally agree with you. And I love technology. I'm a technologist. I've been using the internet since it was a, a little uh, character-based interface called Pine Mail 
for example. So I love technology. I embrace technology. And you're talking about a very specific example with cars where that is a major purchase for a family. So people get emotional about cars only because they see it as an extension of their identity, which is also very critical in all of this. So there's a lot of facts and information out there related to the purchase of the car. And I, I love that people leverage the internet for that information. But what you're not finding are on all these other underlying ways that aren't major purchases that you're committed to for the next five years with that car loan. Again, that, you brought up that great example of the plastic bag ban. I actually support a plastic bag ban. I really do. Um, what I don't support then is the uh, opposite requirement of paying for it. It's right. these nickel and dime things. And another great example here in the state of California is the, is the drought. You know, um, we, we talk about this shortage of water. There's no shortage of water. What the shortage of water is, is potable water at the tap for you to use. And people get very hung up on this topic. So one of the current issues that's going on, for example, is all of the local water districts, and I don't know Napa specifically, but all the different local water districts conserve, conserve, conserve. So people conserve, and guess what happens? Their water bill goes up. So wait a minute, I'm using less water, you're charging me actually more, water, more money per unit, and nobody understands why, because what's happened is, we've said, well, I trust this administrative agency of people that maybe I elect, because eh, I don't really vote in that election. And they set these water rates, and they pay all kinds of things, and oh, and everybody has a defined benefit pension plan, which, by the way, none of you get, unless you happen to be a government employee as well. And I wonder why my water bill keeps going up. And, and these are very simple things that we look and we go, well, there's been no leadership on these topics. And when we take our eye off the ball, it gets manipulated for specific people's benefits. Everybody can always argue why they deserve a six-figure salary. And there's not a six-figure salary out there that somebody can't justify. But you have to look at it in the bigger picture. And that's where we were supposed to rely on our politicians for that. And they don't, and because they're busy worrying about their re-election. And so they say to these people, well, you're going to fund my campaign, right? Oh, well, then I'm going to let it slide. I'm going to vote for something that's financially not supportable, that no actuary would ever say, yeah, this is a really good idea that you're going to do that. And so this is all the point of us, even you and me having this conversation right now, elevates it and brings it into the consciousness. And that's the entire purpose of my book. Let's have the conversation. Let's get people thinking about some of these topics. And maybe, just maybe, we can start to make a difference. The other part of the equation, the corollary is, do politicians matter? Should politicians even matter anymore? Well, that is a very big question. Yes, they do. And if I had my druthers, you know, we're talking, you know, Greenfield dream, you know, <laughs> at this point, would be this. I really believe in the origin ideas of our country. You, know, you go back 239 years. These were 56 men. They weren't women. And I absolutely encourage women to run in politics. I believe in equality for women. I think women have absolutely every same number of great ideas or maybe more than men have. But you look at the 56 men who are what we call the founding fathers. They had skin in the game. They got involved not just for their own benefit. They had some great ideas, and they believed in the idea of citizen politicians. See, that's the problem. California uh -huh. has tried. We're a great experiment where we've said we're going to have term limits. We're going to do all these things. The problem is 
You serve two terms in the Assembly, you go serve two terms in the Senate, and then you go get appointed some plush bureaucracy job in an administrative agency. So we have career politicians. And I actually believe, I really do believe this, I believe in the idea of the citizen politician, which is, Jeff, I should elect you to the Assembly for a term or two, and then you go back to doing your broadcasting or you go back and running your winery or you go back and you run your little store that the rest of your family ran for you on Main Street in Napa which is so beautiful I, I love Napa I love Yonville I love that whole region but that's the point and the original purpose was not to spend your entire life making these decisions being stuck in the money being stuck in the bureaucracy and in the politics of, of Sacramento or D.C., but actually being part of a community and going and representing that community and then returning to that community. That's my ideal. And yet we see that to some extent in local politics, in small town politics, in municipal politics, and sometimes the outcomes are not a whole lot better, not a whole lot different. I agree because guess what? People are people. That's my great-grandmother mm -hmm. used to say that. People are people. And it's this simple thing. We are, we do have greed in our heart. We do have things that allow us to be corrupted, right? I mean, we talk about power corrupts and absolute uh -huh. power corrupts absolutely, among many other things. So even in local politics, of course that happens. That's why we have to keep our eye on the local politicians just as much as anything. I will say, though, and this is something that gets lost very often, local politics, local elections, actually in many ways matter more Absolutely. than state and local elections. What, what, I mean, but it's true because that's what affects your daily life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's much more of an absolute direct impact. And in many cases, you have in those positions people that are part of the community, people that are local citizens. It really is, is a better reflection of that ideal you're talking about of citizen politicians. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, look, it, it's so important for people to get involved. It really begins with such a simplistic notion of, one, reading past the headlines, critical thinking. Does that headline make sense? And if it makes sense, does it only make sense because of your own bias, because you're Team Democrat or Team Republican? Therefore, you automatically agree with the headline? Let's start by moving past that. But the number two thing after reading past headlines and maybe reading something from an opposing point of view while you're at it, get involved. Just show up. It's amazing to me. Down in places like Santa Cruz, you'll go to a county board of supervisor meeting and a county of 265,000 people. The supervisors have unbelievable power in a place like Santa Cruz because most of the county is county land, not city, right? So you have the city of Santa Cruz and the city of Capitola, and that's it. The rest of it is county land. So the vast majority of that county is run by the board of supervisors. You go and attend a supervisor's meeting, and there's 16 people. And by the way, it's 15 of those 16 are the same ones that show up every week to say the same argument on the same topic. So if you're not getting involved, you're not participating, you're not writing the letters, they're able to do whatever they want without you looking into it. When I was broadcasting locally in Santa Cruz at KSCO, I was able to get on the air doing what you do, Jeff, 65 people to show up to one meeting, and it freaked out the politicians. I'm not kidding you. They actually freaked out shouting. I got yelled at, yelled at by a county supervisor in the parking lot 
because all of a sudden 65 people showed up to say, we don't like what you're doing. We don't agree with what you think the county needs. And for once, people have shown up and are challenging you on this. And it was one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life. I enjoyed getting yelled at by the supervisor on the principle of the people showing up and saying what they believe in, not just what the elected leaders say we should believe in. Why do you think more people don't show up? I mean, they'll all tell you they're busy. They'll tell you they don't have time. But if they took the time they spent complaining and use that time to show up, maybe it would make a difference in the way you're talking about. But they don't show up. Well, that's a that's a complicated uh, question in terms of the true deep answer. But let me give you two key points. You already touched on one of them. Look, we're all busy right now. We work in eight to five jobs, especially working parents are the ones that are most mm-hmm. concerned. Those are also the ones that have the least amount of time to go and participate because they're working an eight to five job. They've got to pick up the kids at school. They're involved parents. So they're actually going to little Johnny's, you know, baseball practice. They're reading to their kids at bedtime. They're putting their kids in bed, going off to a county supervisor meeting ain't in the schedule. <laughs> Secondly, they actually kind of make it tough. They don't schedule these meetings at the most convenient times in the most convenient place. Yes, you can email, and that is the thing that I go back and push back on everybody on. Start emailing. You have any thought on any topic in your community, email your elected official. Email your water district. Email your county supervisor. Email your mayor. It goes in the public record. And so when you have those thoughts, send the email. But I want to caution one quick thing on that. Don't send it in the heat of the moment. And by the way, this applies with everything in email. Don't send it in the heat of the moment. Write it down immediately. Even if it's two sentences, save it in the morning. Read it again. Make sure it reflects what you really want to say. And then send it. You don't always have to show up at the meeting but make that effort and just start by sending the emails. That is where technology has increased the participatory options in our representative democracy. It's interesting when we look back 60 years to the height of the 60s and everyone talked about not trusting anyone under 30 or questioning authority, which was part of the mantra of the day. Here we are 60 years later and question authority once again becomes uh, central to the conversation. Yeah, well, again, we, it's, it's human nature. It, it's humanity. We are doomed to repeat history for as much as we think we're so advanced. To quote my Uncle Bill, who taught me this long ago, who I talk about a lot in my book, Liars and Whores. Mm-hmm. Uncle Bill taught me for as advanced as we think we are, we're two steps from the Serengeti. You know, he fought in Vietnam. He's the one who really planted some deep seeds in me and questioning everything and I questioned my uncle. He even recently said to me after recent events here in the United States, he said, let me edit that. We're not two steps from the Serengeti. We're one step from the Serengeti, meaning we are not as advanced and, and wonderful as we think we are. We always think we're so smart. All we have to do is look at the dot-com boom of 2000, for example, and the bust, I should say. Everybody was saying in the late 90s, and we're hearing it again right now, which uh, makes me a little nervous. Oh, it's different this time. It's different this time. It's not. 
there are certain things about human nature that really are not any different. And thousands of years later, that aspect of human nature, and if you want to take a religious approach, you can absolutely take a religious approach to it and say, see, what was written a couple of thousand years ago in the Bible, for example, all those lessons apply because we still have that same human nature. Ergo, every generation wants to repeat the mistakes of the previous generation, and they don't want to listen to their elders, and they don't want to do these things. And those elders that were the hippies of the 60s that were saying the question, they're the ones that have manipulated the systems for themselves. I actually have a family member deeply involved in democratic politics here in the Bay Area since the 1960s, and he was one of those hippies, and he and I disagree on many things politically, and I love him dearly. And he said, I was arguing with him about the, the pension problem here in California. I said, look, we've got $700 billion or as little as $300 billion, depending on whose numbers, of these unpaid for, unfunded pension liabilities. I said, that, you're, you're, you're saddling my children and my grandchildren because you promised things to people. And he said, you know what? He said, some of this stuff has not turned out the way that we wanted. Some of it became this, this snowball effect of greedy people and and, and just uncontrolled bureaucracy. He still is a very lefty, progressive Democrat. But he said that that's not what our ideal was. And, and ultimately what it is is greed became part of it. Even 60s hippies got greedy. Ethan Bierman, his book is Liars and Whores, How Big Government and Big Business Are Working to Save Their Own Assets, Not Yours. Ethan, it's been a pleasure. I thank you so much for spending time with us. Jeff, uh, I can't thank you enough. And by the way, I, I look forward to another conversation, maybe uh, talking some, some wine and other wonderful things from the Napa area. Absolutely. Ethan Bierman, take care. The book Liars and Whores. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.